You are listening to the Conquering Everest podcast. This is episode 42. Welcome to the Conquering Everest Podcast. My name is Brian Talore. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a bit of your day here with me. Now, before we get into what today's episode is going to be about, I've got a quick favor to ask of everyone. If you haven't already followed this podcast, make sure you go ahead and follow this podcast on whatever platform it is you prefer to listen to it. Uh, following it is going to let you know when new episodes are released. And you know what? I just, by golly, I like you guys. I like you. I want you to stick around, okay? And I want you to be a part of this show. And so first thing, follow. Go ahead and give this thing a follow. And uh, second, if you don't mind, give it a share. Throw it out on your social profile. Let your friends and your family know all about the show because you just never know who's going to be impacted by someone's story, right? And then lastly, if you've been listening to this show for quite some time and you're enjoying what you're hearing and you'd like to give back and donate, uh, I'd like to just let you know that I have a site set up. It's buymeacoffee.com slash Everest Coaching. But don't worry, I'm going to have a link for you in the description below. Like I said, if, 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 if this show has resonated with you, if it has done something for you and you'd like to donate, we can sure use the donations because I tell you what, this show is strictly funded by myself and by any of you listeners that would like to support. All right. On today's show, I have a great conversation with Kim Kid Curry. Kim is a 33-year veteran of the radio industry working in some of America's greatest cities, including Miami, where he was running the most listened to uh, station in the area. In 2005, however, he was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and this ended his career in the radio biz. But years later, modern science prevailed and his condition has leveled off. And the former DJ and radio programmer is now a writer with two published books. And you know what? He is a fantastic storyteller. You're going to love this episode. So let's get to it. Here is Kim Kid Curry's story. Kim Curry, welcome to the Conquering Evers podcast. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you being uh, having me here today. So, oh, so yeah, I've been yeah. actually looking forward to since our original conversation. So yeah, I, I've been looking forward to talking to you too. Not not only because of your, uh, you know, your history and what you've had to deal with, but I've always had a soft spot for uh, radio and broadcast uh, ever since I was a kid because I used to sleep with like a little uh, battery operated um, uh, radio under my pillow and and have transistors. Yeah, yeah, like, and I, I fantasize about being on the air, although for some reason I never pursued it. But Kim, let's, uh, I tell you what, let's go ahead and start off, if you don't mind, uh, just have you introduce yourself to the to the audience. Um, my name is Kim Curry, uh, to many in America known as Kid Curry, a 33-year radio broadcaster. I uh, was a DJ in, in towns like Knoxville, Tennessee, San Antonio, Texas, um, Pueblo, Colorado, uh, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Maryland, and for 25 of those 33 years, I was in Miami, Florida. Um, around 2005, after I turned 50, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and uh, kind of brought the career to a screeching halt. And I've had to, uh, first I dealt with eight years of fairly serious medical problems. And then through the magic of modern science, uh, medicine came along that slowed the progression of my disease. And uh, since then, I've kind of had to rebuild myself. I've had to come up with something new. Um, uh, it was eight years of fairly dismal times. And then uh, when everything changed, uh, I had to come up with something new. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, when 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 you got the diagnosis and, and you kind of once you got to that point where you knew you had to reinvent yourself, 
Um, I, in my mind, I think of, you know, how easy it would be for, for news like that to, to cause depression, anxiety, different things that people deal with. Uh, what was it like for you? What, what did it, what was the hardest part for you beyond the medical? Well, you know, for 33 years, I was a fairly famous guy. Um, even when I just had a radio show, all of my radio shows were fortunately fairly famous in the markets that I was in. Um, there was only one, you know, you have a bunch of guys by the name, you know, Don Lewis and Bill Jackson, but there was only one Kid Curry on the radio in America. In fact, I think there's only been one forever. Um, and the reason that happened, first of all, let me tell you how I got the name Kid Curry. First of all, I grew up in Colorado, a little town called Canyon City, Colorado. And in the 1970s, you don't call a little boy Kim. My name is Kim Curry. You don't call a guy Kim. There were no Kims in America back then. <laughs> so my parents um, uh, gave me my, my name. Everyone thinks my name is Casey because I just use my initials. Um, but then when I got on the radio, uh, it, it came time for me to actually have a name. My first part-time job uh, when I got hired in high school uh, my dad came home one day and he asked me if I wanted to babysit the general manager's kids. Um, and so I went to the radio station to do that. And what my dad didn't know was I wasn't there to babysit his kids. The general manager wanted me to babysit the radio station on Sunday mornings when the radio station played back the previous week's church services. Nobody wanted that job. They needed a high school kid. So that was me. Um, but the first time I heard my voice on the radio, you know, uh, my only responsibility were to put these tapes on this machine and start the tape at the right time. But every hour I had to go on and say the following. I remember it well. Uh, this is KRLN, Canyon City, Colorado, the station with the news reputation. And hearing my voice in the headphones, I knew that this was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be on the radio. My dad was a radio guy. He was a newsman. So I went to college, University of Southern Colorado. I traveled 30 miles to go to Pueblo, Colorado and uh, go to school there. Uh, while I was on the, uh, in school, I, I had a part-time job at the local, one of the local top 40 radio stations. So the day that I got hired, I was in the studio with the boss and he had a guy who was recording voices, uh, recording the promos for the radio station, doing all the drops for the DJs, you know, Dickie Dills plays all hit music. And I was standing there and being the new guy, he turned around to the guy and says, uh, okay, we need to get one for this guy, this guy with Kim, we can't call him Kim. And he turned around and he picked up a record and he looked at the record and he said, okay, Gary Paxton. Well, the record he picked up was The Monster Mash, and it was written by Gary Paxton. So my first radio name when I was doing one day a week in Pueblo, Colorado for two and a half years was Gary Paxton. So that was my first radio name. <laughs> two and a half years into my college education and with the, ed the education I got from working at the local radio station, I was really feeling my oats. So I started applying for jobs around the country. Uh, I got a full-time job offer from Knoxville, Tennessee. So I packed up my 1971 Plymouth Valiant with everything I had in it. I called it the car of the future because it had no class. It was, <laughs> it was white with blue interior, and that was it. And it was plastic and cracked. So it was the car of the future. I packed up all my stuff, and I'm driving across the country to go to my first full-time job. And my, I was offered the job at 10 o'clock at night. And I thought, I've got to come up with a better radio name than Gary Paxton. So I'm driving across the country <laughs> to my first full-time job. And I thought, at 10 o'clock at night, I'll call myself Night Smoke. <laughs> so I drive up to the radio station when I get to Knoxville. And I walk up the stairs and I open the door. And there's a lady sitting at the reception desk. And behind her is this big guy with curly hair. And he had a Hawaiian shirt on. And I reached out to the lady and I said, hello, ma'am, I'm your new nighttime disc jockey. I'm Night Smoke. And the guy behind her says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry. Well, you got to think all the way back to 1970s. There was a TV show called Kid Curry and Hannibal Hayes. They went as Kid Curry, Hannibal Hayes, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. And it was a TV show 
Kid Curry was a star of the TV show, and my friends used to always make a joke about the name. Hey, kid, and I hated it. So when the guy said, well, if it isn't Kid Curry, my response was, I hate that name, man. And he says, well, then I won't sign your check. And I said, Kid Curry it is. Yeah. Uh, little did I know that, um, you know, first of all, you know, back in the 70s, radio DJs all had very big, deep voices. But suddenly there was this little guy on the radio with this little tiny voice. And I was a fairly energetic radio DJ. Uh, so I was talking high, high pressure and going fast. And um, I was there about a week when the guy who hired me got fired. <laughs> mm. So. <laughs> Things got real sticky after about three or four months. Uh, I decided I needed to get out of that job and go to a real full-time job. Um, so, you know, we had these air checks. That's how you get a job as a radio DJ. All the things you say, you put those on tape, and that's what you send out. They call those air checks. So you record your show, you cut up the parts that you say, and you send those out. Well, on this particular air check, there's a song by Peter Frampton, Baby, I Love Your Way. Starts off with applause. And he says, thank you. And then he starts playing the song. So I hear the applause. And on the tape, I said, hey, Peter, your zipper's down. He says, thank you. <laughs> and I went on with what I was going to say on the radio. Well, I put that thing on my tape, my air check, and I sent it out to a bunch of stations around America. And it was Labor Day weekend, 1976. And uh, gotta remember, it was the 200th anniversary of America. So we we're having this huge thing in the uh, New York Harbor. There were water and boats everywhere. And I was sitting there with my roommate who happened to be a college friend of mine. I mean, a high school friend of mine. He was also in radio. So when I got the job in Knoxville, I got him hired to come out to Knoxville with me. So he and I are sitting there and the phone rings and we're watching this thing on TV. And he picks the phone up and he looks at me and he says, it's Jerry Clifton and he wants to talk to you. Well, the guy brought out from my hometown was a much better disc jockey than I was. He was in the sound of his voice. I could tell he was offended that Jerry Clinton was calling for me and not for him. So I picked the phone up and Jerry said, you know what? There's a ticket waiting for you at the Knoxville airport. You need to come down here tonight, call your boss, tell him you're sick. You can't come to work. I want to interview to come down to Miami. So that night <laughs> I was in Miami and got hit with this flush of humidity. I'm from Colorado. I, yeah. I never felt humidity like Miami humidity. But that was the beginning of, um, you know, the Kid Curry radio show in Miami. And when I was in Miami um, on 96X, now see, I don't know how much you know about radio. You sound like you're a, maybe a radio. You might know some of these things, Brian. But you know, there was a time when top 40 radio music was only on AM radio. Mm -hmm. Way back in the day, FM was for all the, hey, before that we heard, and before that, dude, you know what we heard? <laughs> that was the kind of thing that was on FM. Well, there was a transition in the early 70s where top 40 music formats made it onto FM radio. Well, radio was very competitive because there's all sorts of advertising money involved. So one of the first markets that put FM radio stations playing top 40 music was in Miami. So one of the radio stations was called 96X. The other one was called Y100. It was the first official hardcore FM top 40 battle in America. And it was famous. But I was a, a young radio dude with little groupies on the telephone. I really wasn't paying attention. I was just having fun on the radio. Okay, <laughs> So I get to Miami and I start doing these crazy things. And about six months afterwards, Jerry Clifton gets dismissed because of an illegal contest the radio station had done years before, the ramifications of all that came about about six months after I got there. And nine months after I got to Miami on 96X, he gets fired. And now they bring in this guy that I have no connection with. I am not going to, we're not going to work. Yeah. So I was sending out air checks across America 
And I got a call from Y100, the other radio station. Now, the difference between the two, 96X um, was a very strategic, well-thought-out top 40 radio station, but used a lot of subliminal things. I mean, our promos would have voices in the back. It was very eclectic. But Y100 was a lot more commercialized, but it was a lot better and had much higher ratings than, than uh, we did at 96X. And because it was so classy, it was the most famous top 40 FM radio station in America. Take away the FM. It was the most official, the, the best top 40 radio station in America. I never thought I'd ever go to work over there because... The way we did this in radio was you try to you try to stake your ground. 96X, we're going to beat those guys. We hate those guys. My boss made me mentally not <laughs> want to go there. I hated those guys. I wanted to beat them in the ratings. So when I was sending out air checks across America, I never anticipated going to Y100. But one night when I was on the radio at 96X, uh, I got a phone call from the guy who was my competition on Y100. He called and I didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> like, Who is this communist man? What does yeah. he want with me? So it took me a while even to pick up the phone. But when I did, he said that his boss, Bill Tanner, wanted me to come to take his place because he was moving up to, I think, Boston. And uh, they wanted me to come to Y100. So, you know, there I am, uh, first competing against the best radio station in America. And then suddenly, I'm on the number one top 40 radio station in America. And um, so I've worked with Jerry Clifton, genius, Bill Tanner, genius. I've, th these are on my resume. It really helps my cred. Um, so I get big jobs after this because of that. Um, but I, the jobs that I get are always under the auspices of Jerry Clifton and Bill Tanner. After they were program directors, they went off to become consultants. So I got hired to go be a program director by Jerry Clifton in Texas. And then Bill Tanner went up to Washington, D.C. So he hires me to come to D.C. So over these 25 or 33 years, I'm in San Antonio, Washington, D.C., Baltimore. I go back to Miami. My father has both legs amputated. Oof. So I take, a, I take a year off of Miami and I say, I got to go. So now I've been to Miami twice. I go home back here to Colorado to take care of my dad. He has both legs amputated. I come home to build ramps and help widen the doors of his house, which is really not true because all his friends did that. I'm there for a year and he's suddenly like, well, why are you here? I thought you were the big time <laughs> radio guy. Because remember, my dad was a radio guy. Yeah. My dad knew that his son was on the biggest stations in America. What are you doing coming home to me? <laughs> so after a year of trying to help him out, he convinced me to go back. And uh, fortunately, I got a call to go back to Miami for the third time. Mm. But um, the progression of program directors, um, the guy who had, had been Bill Tanner's assistant at – boy, I, I don't want to confuse you too much. But eventually <laughs> – Bill Tanner takes over 96X, but it was a new name. They called it Power 96. Wow. So Power 96 comes and offers Bill a whole bunch of money. He leaves all his situations and comes there. Um, he gets out of, he is actually forced out of the business because of some illegal thing that came up. Uh, so that he gives his job to his assistant, Frank Walsh. Now, Frank, and I were best friends from all. In fact, he was the guy who answered the phone the night I got the call from Y100. He was my phone <laughs> guy. So he and I had become programming partners. And as I was going around the country being interviewed for jobs and things like that, I always referred to him as my music director. When I come to work for you, I will bring him as my music director. So he was always my assistant. But through circumstances, he ends up being Bill Tanner's assistant at, 90, at Power 96. He has a problem getting the ratings going. He goes away. Now, they make me the interim program director. This guy, Kid Curry, has been around this operation so much. It's still the same thing he's been doing for 30 years, or actually 25 years at the time. Just let him be the pro interim, and we'll go out and we'll find the best program director in America to come over and take over this powerhouse mammoth radio station. Well, 
I kept telling him, it needs to be me. <laughs> I don't know why you're going other places to be a program director. This needs to be me. Uh, so I end up convincing them after six months because they bring they bring programmers in from New York and San Francisco. And I'd be sitting at the desk and they'd walk in with these guys and I'd know who these guys were. And they'd say, well, this is Kid Curry. He's our interim till, till we decide who we're going <laughs> to hire. And they'd walk out the door and I'd tell the GM, no, it's got to be me. Well, after... What I started doing was making changes at the radio station. While the boss was busy hiring, trying to hire somebody, I started making changes at the radio station. At that point, the ratings start going up. So six months after I take over for the first time, these guys were finally convinced that I needed to be the program director. So I got to be program director of the original station I went to work at in 1976 only by then it had changed names now it was power 96 and for the next nine years the radio station has the most success in its entire history i was on a i was on a roll i was in a groove i was working with people that i knew i was handed a really good operation it just so happens i had a different frame of mind on how to motivate these people radio stations rolling like crazy in 2004 i come home to visit my mother here in colorado my mom says the week we're, I'm there, she says something wrong with you. You're not walking right. And admittedly so. I could tell there was something wrong with my legs. There was something wrong with my feet. Uh, then before I left on the airplane, uh, I was just after Christmas in 2004. She said, look at your eye. Your eye is drooping. There's something wrong. Mm. And so I go back to Miami and I go to my chiropractor lady. I mean, I've only gone to chiropractor. I didn't know anybody else. Right. So I go to the chiropractor lady. I said, you know, my feet are messed up. I'm not walking right. Could you kind of adjust my back? And she says, there's something else going on here, man. You need to see a doctor now. Oh. And uh, so after about, uh, this was 2005, March 2005, uh, six months afterwards, um, I'm diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Now I am type A personality, my radio station, I lived and breathed it. And if you know about radio, they don't shut off. Uh, They go 24 seven. And when you're the guy in charge, you listen 24 seven. My children were raised with the radio on behind the TV so I could listen to what was happening. I'd get up at three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning to make sure they were saying the right things. It was my obsession. But when I got diagnosed with MS, I was at my, well, actually, when, when the verdict came down, I was in Naples, Florida at a corporate meeting, got a phone call from my doctor. I left the meeting, went into a room. She said, Mr. Curry, you have multiple sclerosis. After six weeks of testing, this is what's wrong with you. And I was like, okay. I went back into the meeting and I packed up my stuff. <laughs> see you guys. They just said I have MS. I don't know what that means. I'm going to go. I'll see you. Got in my car, called my wife. She sat there and did the 2005 version of Google. And as I was driving back um, across Alligator Alley, I learned about multiple sclerosis. And Mm -hmm. I learned that you can die from multiple sclerosis. And so by the time I got home, I had already decided. It's a three-hour drive. By the time I got home, I'd already decided that I was really done because I knew I was up against a mission. And I was failing rapidly. Um, you know, uh, these symptoms that I had then had flared up during my life. I just didn't know what they were. I thought I had a cold or maybe I just needed an adjustment to chiropractor. That's, but, yeah. but finally in 2005, they came on very strong. And, um, so I got forced out. Yeah. So that's my story. How'd you get me to do that, Brian? That was good. <laughs> that, no, that, that is, that was, that's a, a, a great story, a great back history on you. I was, as you were talking, I, I, I was down in Florida, oh, nine, early 90s, um, just a teenager, me and my buddy being rebellious, we just took off and went there. So I was trying, trying to think, did I listen to you? Because I remember like 96, like I remember some of the, the, the names that you were out oh, there. Well, those two stations are still on. They have okay. been on since the early 70s. They are famous in the business and in South Florida, however, because of the corporate leakage yeah. of radio back in 1996, they are nowhere scoring the kind of ratings that, that we used to get back then. They're yeah. there, but they're not doing as well as that they did. 
so used to. So as as you kind of go back to when you got the news and, and you drove home and you've made this decision, what was life like for you for, say, the next six months as you, I, I would imagine it's a pretty big adjustment period, not only physically and medically, but, you know, to come to grips with lifestyle changes. My wife likes to refer to this, that six months as our snow globe moment. Okay. You know, one day everything was fine. Then all of a sudden our snow globe got shook. Mm. And uh, I I think that's pretty good. Um, yeah, that's so, good. So, you know, I, I had to, we had, I had to decide what to do. I mean, I, I thought, well, geez, I can't stay here in Florida um, if I'm not going to work. <laughs> Fortunately, my company, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> I had a, one of the ladies who was the office manager, her name was Phyllis. Uh, because as the program director of this very powerful radio station, uh, people knew me and they knew that when I could pay attention and when I couldn't. Uh, mm. She would come to my office and put things on my desk and say, sign this. Don't worry about reading, sign it and sign it, sign it. And she had brought in somewhere over those nine years, a long-term insurance policy that I had signed and I didn't even know it. Oh wow! <laughs> so I get diagnosed and I and I quit and then I I'm panicking. I'm it's the it's like the day after I I, I go in I tell the boss I'm going to resign and the people are coming into my office and and they're saying what are you going to do? I'm like I don't know, man. I just I got to go take care of myself. I'm I'm I got to just go. Uh, what are you going to do for money? I don't know. I just got to go. Um, and then she came into my office and she says, you know, by the way, you don't have anything to worry about. I was like, what? She said, yeah, I, you, four years ago, I had you sign this piece of paper. So you're, you're full term, man. Mm -hmm. And uh, fortunately, it was quite financially <laughs> aggressive. And, yeah. um, and I was very well taken care of. But I didn't know that the first two, three days. But then when I knew that was there, it gave me the freedom to go, okay, now what? Yeah. And my wife and I could sit back and say, what's going to happen? What do you want to do? What's going to be best for us? And I had just had a child. Uh, my little Casey was about a year and a half old at the time. And uh, so we decided to move back to my hometown. <laughs> you know, yeah. I figured that, you know, if I was going to get sick and if I needed some help, there's still people in Canyon City, Colorado, who are my house, high school buds. And uh, if I need some help, they would help me. And I knew they would. And so we decided we'd go back there and then... Uh, my wife thought that it would be good that she got into. We actually started some flipping, and what are the fixing and flipping things? We oh, the houses and everything. The houses and things, and did that for a while. But you know what happened? Is she didn't like <laughs> the way she was treated by the real estate people. Oh, so yeah. uh, she came home one day and says, "I'm going to get my license." And then a year later, she had her license. And then a year later, she's breaking records in the state of Colorado uh per capita in our little town of canyon city and wow. has since stopped selling houses but is now an international uh, consultant on selling houses to people that have to sell at least 100 houses a year wow. so, so my creation my recreation because yeah. remember she was she was the my my date at the grammys on my arm every year for years and we come out here and she finds this thing and now she's blown up super huge. So, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get sidetracked, but I'm a real no. <laughs> but yeah, no, that and I mean that's that, that's excellent to think about because you know, a lot of times folks and, and myself, you know, included, something major happens and you struggle to figure out what's next as to where um through through your you know your your health. Like if, if this wouldn't have happened, then this whole chapter of your life, your wife's life, that none of that happens. It's but Brian, you know, you know as well as I do, and, and you may be a victim of this. You bring something like this into your house and it can it can tear yeah. the relationship apart. I I I mean, I thought I, I didn't know. I wondered. But you know, I she's Cuban, man. <laughs> I'm yeah. Sorry. That Cuban, <laughs> that Cuban came out real quick. She's like, We're gonna find you the best doctors, you're gonna get the most medicine, you're gonna da da ba da ba da ba. And she was yeah. adamant, man. And had you back. <laughs> you know, but you know, you learn things. You know, I did not know how expensive it was to be disabled in America. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. you know, the 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 uh I, I get a wheelchair, I get one for five years, but I gotta make a choice. 
and I have an electric one in my house. Uh, but in order to leave my house, that means I have to have a vehicle that can transport this thing. So that costs. Or you decide to go ahead and buy your own wheelchair and uh, have a portable in the car, which is a cost. Uh, I have to have ramps to get into my house. In fact, I have an elevator that gets me from the ground floor into my home. Uh, mm -hmm. I have to pay for that. Um, you know, so it, I learned a lot, man. And, yeah. you know, and I learned that this, unfortunately, the richest country in, on the planet does nothing for people like me and us. Yeah. So, no, I hear you. Anyway, I'm sorry. Again, these no. are things that actually this is in my book. I go through this and come get me, mother. I'm through. I go point by point why these things are an issue and why we need to fix this. In in the book itself, um, when so when did you write that? That 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 was just recently, right? It wasn't no. too no. It's been a while. I'm gonna tell you something. You know, it's a fog to me now. I can tell you that I would imagine that. We're at 2000, I would say 2003 probably is when I finished it. Uh, okay. But that process was unique too, because, you know, Brian, when I first got diagnosed, there were only five multiple sclerosis drugs that I knew of. Um, eight years into it, there's now eight. Uh, my doctors decide that, you know, Dr. Bowling says, there's new stuff out there, man. This medicine's not helping you. You continue to degrade. We need to do something differently. And it's the truth. You know, mm. when I got diagnosed, I was still walking, but then I went to a cane, two crutches, to a wheelchair in about two years. So the doctor's like, you're not getting any help here, bro. We got to change this yeah. medicine. Um, but, you know, he was also adamant. And this is something that I want MS patients to hear. You need vitamin D. You need to supplement vitamin D. I, I take around 5,000 IUs a day. It all depends on how I've filled up my little box, you know, my little squares, right. you know. I take about 5,000 IUs of vitamin D every day. Dr. Bowling is adamant when he says that, that, that MS patients have a desire in their body for more vitamin D. And there's something that, you know, actually all humans need vitamin D. We get it from the sun, but nobody has numbers that are su substantial enough that you need more all the time. But MS patients specifically need more. So, you know, I changed my medicine and he says, okay, start taking vitamin D. And I'm like, doc, come on, man. <laughs> I'm an old man. I'm a radio DJ. We make jokes about vitamins, you know, yeah. the radio. What are you talking about? Vitamins. Oh, my mom <laughs> takes vitamin C. I'll never catch a cold as she's sneezing at me. You know, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, so I, I fought him for six months. But then my wife, she was like, you know, maybe he's right. And she really was on me for six months. So... Uh, six months into my new drug, I went from Rebif to Copaxone. I start taking 5,000 IUs of vitamin D. Now, six months later, it's noticeable that I'm not degrading anymore, that my condition had leveled off. Mm. Whether it was the medicine or the vitamin D or the combination of the two, something stopped that. And so since about... I don't know, my math, 2003 or so, 2002 or so, things have kind of leveled off for me. Okay. Um, which was, you know, then I got a whole nother mindset I got to deal with. Right. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, there's hope yeah. here. <laughs> this is pretty cool. And what is the, like, I mean, the prognosis for you right now is you plan on living a long, full life. I, I mean, you know, I can yeah. tell you that nothing changes. Um, yeah. I have right now, as I'm speaking to you, I'm having major seizures of my lower, my lower extremities. My legs mm. are sticking straight out. I'm on baclofen, the drug baclofen to stop that. But I take as much as you possibly can without having to have a bag strapped to you and insert yeah. it in your system. Um, my condition is leveled off. I don't get worse, but I still have exacerbations. There will be some days, you know, that I just can't, uh, you know, specifically around low pressure systems. And, you know, some doctors will fight you on that, but I'm telling you that I can tell that I start getting real brain foggy and my, my joints hurt. My, my spasms are worse when I hit low pressure systems. So I'm, I'm fairly stable now. Um, but you know, when this all kind of stopped <laughs> back in 10, 11 and 12, um, I had, to, I was really, in fact, you couldn't even hear my voice. 
Uh, mm. My voice had closed off. There's an MS, they call it this dystopia. I don't know if that may, may not be the word, um, but there's something that happens to MS patients. So I could, you could hardly hear me talk, but my doctor has surmised that that you can reheal things. I mean, things mm -hmm. heal after a while. And when my condition leveled off, I can tell you my voice got better. Um, my response got better. My wife said that I was more responsive and I was quicker on my feet. Um, well, in my chair. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was becoming more cognizant. So, you know, I think your body can heal. So since about, I don't know, I what 2003, uh, I, I, I've, been taking the long haul back and getting everything I can do. You know, a friend of mine, one thing that happened, you know, I got ripped out of my job. Um, I mm. got ripped out of my career, the career that my dad got me started in. And I disappeared. In fact, if you go back to the trade magazines back in those days, there are searches. What happened to Kid Curry? Where did Kid Curry go? Um, I just disappeared. Um, mm. So after, after being away, um, the one guy I was in touch with every year was his name was Vince Pellegrino. His birthday was April Fool's Day. I'm a 420 baby. So every April Fool's, I would call him and every 420, he would call me. And we did that during my career. But a couple of years after I left the business, my phone rang on April 1st. I mean, on, on my birthday, April 20th, and it was Vince. I'm like, Vince, how you doing? He says, how you doing? So we kind of, we, we got it back together. Every year we'd make that one phone call. Vince was a very busy man. In fact, uh, what he's responsible for was a, a magazine called the Street Information Network, um, SIN, S-I-N. If you're a radio person, you know the SIN magazine. Um, the difference in that and Billboard, um, Billboard takes all the big corporate stuff. Whereas mm -hmm. Vince would take all the independent stuff, a lot of the independent things. Um, but every year, Vince had this ceremony that he would have. Um, you know, you see the Grammys and you know that Beyonce, they all get their awards, but they wouldn't get those awards if the promoters wouldn't get their radio, the songs on the radio stations. So every year, Vince would have a big ceremony in, in, uh, in New York City at B.B. King's Blues Club, and he would give out awards to all the promoters, the guys who did the real street work, and it became a famous, famous convention. Um, it was a big-time thing. People uh, talk about it. They still talk about it. Uh, one afternoon, I got a phone call. Vince says, listen, man, um, I think you need to come to my ceremony this year at B.B. King's because I think I need to give you a Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm. Uh, I had done some really big things in radio, apparently, to some people. And he thought that, you know, you disappeared, man, and people want to see you. They want to know what you're doing. And uh, I want to give you an award. So I'll fly you and your family out here. Brought us into New York. Uh, got to see people I hadn't seen since I got kicked out of the business. Um, and it was so influential. And I loved it so much. And it was great. And the crowd was awesome. And you know, it was the first time anybody saw me in a wheelchair. And, yeah. but, you know, it really, you know, I didn't know what to think. It really filled me because I had been, you know, what, before I got diagnosed, I was the guy everybody wanted to be close to. Right. After I got diagnosed, wait a minute, nobody wants to be close to the guy on crutches. Nobody wants to be close to the guy mm. in the wheelchair. So I had a real mental thing happen to me. But this really filled my heart. And so the next day, Vince comes over to my hotel and he has breakfast. He says, so thanks for coming. Um, I need to let you know something. I'm real sick and I'm oh, going to die. And the reason I brought you out here is because I want to wake you up. I want you to try to come back somehow. You need to come back and do something. And I'm telling Vince, you know, I, 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 first of all, it broke my heart. You know, I mean, one of my, the guy who really picked me up after getting kicked down had wow. told me he was going to die. And within two, three months, he was gone. Um, but, you know, he, he, you know, radio and music, you know, I, I had been real influential in music, real influential in radio, but eight years had gone by, you can't get back into that business. It yeah. had completely changed. Music styles change. And so there's no way I could get back into the radio music business. But I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to write the story. 
I wanted to write the story of the radio career, the diagnosis, the trouble with the diagnosis, the things we need to do to help save America's health industry. And I want to tell you about my friend Vince, who picked me up. And uh, so I had this thought to write that. But, you know, I didn't know anything about writing a book. I'm a radio DJ. What do we know about writing books? <laughs> so, so I actually, I thought, well, I'm going to go out and hire somebody. So I happened to find the Northern Colorado Writers Association up here in, in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, I went to one of their meetings and I told them, listen, I need somebody to help me write this book. I'm a big, famous radio DJ. And I'm <laughs> <It's> <laughs> kind of funny. Um, but they said, well, you know, we're going to send you off to the lady who actually founded our organization. Uh, she had retired from there and she had been doing some outside work. So they connected me with Carrie Flanagan and Carrie Flanagan is a famous uh, author. She writes books about the guide to magazine article writing. She does things hmm. like this. And um, so Carrie first, when I called her, she didn't, you know, she was like, well, you got things to do, man. I can't even talk to you now. You got things to learn. So go get this book and go read this book and go do that. And I'll talk to you. This was in November. No, it was in <laughs> September. She says, I'll talk to you in January. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? So I went out and I got these books. I started reading and there's a book. If you want to learn to write a book, here's the book you want to get. Save the Cat Strikes Back. Mm, might have to write that one down. <laughs> Can't tell you the author, Save the Cat Strikes Back. You read that book and it teaches you about the spine. You need to find a spine of the story. And then you need to come up with all these little things that weave back to the spine of the story. And it was like, whoa, that's how you do this. So then January comes along and she says, have you read? And I said, well, yes, ma'am, I believe I have. And she asked me some questions and then she said, okay, well, now you need to start doing some research and I want you to start writing some things and sending it to me. We're doing this all on computer and, and I'll let you know how you're doing. So I, I, I researched for six months and wrote down some things I wanted to talk about because, you know, this is my career. I had to go back and, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, John, uh, what's it, Frank Sturgis, a Watergate burglar on my show. You know, I had a... <laughs> You know, Casey and the Sunshine Band, personal friends, uh, Wyclef Jean, personal friends. I had a thing happen to me at the White House. In fact, one of the exacerbations I had um, happened at the White House. Now, because I was the nighttime DJ, this kid with a little tiny voice, Kid Curry, when I was in Washington, D.C., I was on the radio from 6 till 10 o'clock at night. And before I leave the radio show, I would do a thing called bed check. Hmm. I would let kids call in and just make comments. Hey, my teacher or this, or my, my <laughs> class sucks, or whatever. You know, I'd just let them call in, and I'd fire things back at them. But in Washington, D.C., for the first time, my extremely teeny-oriented feature became political. <laughs> Suddenly start getting all this political talk. And then one night, this guy calls and he says, hey, this is Frank DeFramer. I'm over here at the White House. And President Reagan was just in here listening to the bed check. And I'm like, <laughs> and I hang up and I go to the next call. Well, this goes three or four nights of this. Hey, your president was just in here listening to your bed check. I'm like, Wait a minute. Hang on. Put him on hold. Who are you? He says, well, I'm Frank DeFramer. Surprisingly enough, they need someone to do the maintenance on the frames at the White House. So that's what I do. I'm Frank DeFramer. And I have an office downstairs. And the president was in here actually listening to your bed check. <laughs> I was shocked. Wow. Couldn't believe yeah. it. So that's just one little story. I had to go back and come up and remember all these stories. Yeah. But, but to finish that, now here's what happened. This is when the exacerbation happened. Um, so um, I, I leave... I leave Washington, D.C., and I move up to Baltimore. Girlfriend I had, her grandma comes to town from Texas. In the conversation, yeah, I know a guy, White House Frank DeFramer. Well, if you know somebody, I want a tour. <laughs> no. So then I'm, I'm, I call the White House. And I, first of all, I don't know if there's really a guy by the name of Frank DeFramer. This guy's only told me this on the telephone. So I call the White House, and I'm like, uh, excuse me, um, I could I – speak to um, Frank DeFramer? Oh, sure. Hang on one second. I'll get him. 
I'm like, whoa, oh, wow. Frank the Framer. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. And he picks up the phone and says, it's Frank the Framer. And Frank, it's Kid Curry. Kid, how you doing? What's up? <laughs> Frank, I'm so glad you know me, man. Uh, my girlfriend's grandma wants to come take a tour. So he sets it up. He says, listen, man, when you get here, just tell him that you're here to see Frank the Framer. I'll let everybody know that you're coming. So whoever you talk to, just tell them you need to come and see me. Now, this is after Reagan's assassination attempt. Oh, yeah. There is no changes yet around the White House. So I'm driving around the White House. And if you know how to do it, you can actually make a big circle. And you go back around, like back around a couple of times. And there was this one road that I kept, well, look, man, that looks like right up to the next, right to the side of the White House. So I'll go up that road. <laughs> so <laughs> I start driving up in my little Toyota Corolla. And as I'm getting closer, men start coming and drawing their guns on me. Oh, man. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, crap. Wrong now, <laughs> what you what 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 happens with multiple sclerosis is stress is the devil. Okay, mm. so as as I'm pulling up and the guns are coming at me, my stress level is just cranking. So by the time I stop the car and I take my hand and I open the door, I fall out. My body has just given up, and. I think that I'm just maybe sick to my stomach or whatever, and I'm falling to the ground. And these guys are, oh, freeze, freeze. Like, I'm oh here for Frank the Framer, Frank the Framer. I fall out of the car. <laughs> oh, Kid Curry, how you doing? Come on. Can we get you a wheelchair? Oh, wow. No, you can get one for Grandma. I'll be all right. So, uh, you know, these exacerbations happen, and then they go away. So within another 20 minutes or so, I was okay, and I could walk, and I was fine. Did not know what it was. But I had to go back and remember this whole story and make all these notes so I could tell these this story and amongst the zillion others that are in the in the memoir. So I researched for six months, and then it took me another six to eight months to write the story. And um, she was on me, behind me every moment. Carrie Flanagan, every time I'd turn a page in, there'd be like little red marks, <laughs> you know, like you get from your teacher. Like going back to school, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I learned a lot and I got into a groove. In fact, as soon as I was finished with that, I had an idea for a fiction. Um, so I wrote another story about that. It's a short story that talks about, um, it's called The Death of Fairness. It talks about uh, what happened to a small town and its only radio station after President Reagan rescinded the Fairness Doctrine in 1987. Now, that's the rule that requires equal time for contrasting points of view. You take that rule out, effectively, you make lies legal without mm. debate. Wow. So, man, well, you've I, lived a full I life. I a lot of stuff at you, Brian. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm just, you know, you, you live such a full life. So what's I mean, ups and downs and everything in between, but what's uh so what's kid curry up to nowadays? What 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 you got going on now? Well, you know, it's what's important to me now is um you know, I I have officially become a writer. Uh, mm -hmm. I, like I said, I've published those two books. I've just finished my third. It's an 82,000-word novel kind of the second to the death of fairness is called Bonnie's Law, the return to fairness. I'm shipping it right. I'm shopping it out now with agents. And if I don't get an agent to, to grab it, I will self-publish it. Um, so I write all the time now and I write about positive things. This whole story is an empowerment young woman story um, who is adamant that the damage done by that 1987 decision has changed America and so much that she decides she wants to run to be the president and bring back the fairness doctrine. But it's very much an empowerment uh, story. Um, I'm also very involved in my multiple sclerosis families around here. Um, you know, when I got diagnosed for years, I'd go to my doctor's office. You know, you roll in the doctor's office. There's other people sitting there. And nobody talks to anybody. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, who's worse? You know, and, you, oh, and I see some miserable stuff. I think I've got it. I don't have a bad. I know people who have it really bad. Yeah. So then after four or five, maybe eight years, the doctor says, you know, you ought to try to go to some of these men over 50 with MS meetings. So I thought, well, okay, I'll go. And oh boy, couldn't believe it. 
I roll into a meeting with guys who were just like me, having the same problems just like me. I'm going to pee. I got to go. Oh, my eye. I can't see. Oh, look at my hand. It curled up. Uh, it, it was amazing to me because I'd been in the, the waiting room, but I'd never talked about it. And to have these men interplay and us talk about our condition and how how we all have different, we're in di because remember what multiple sclerosis is. There are lesions appear on your brain, depending on where that lesion lands is what body part is affected. My mm -hmm. lesions are around whatever controls my lower, my lower extremities um, and in my shoulder. And we all have eye problems. We all have terrible, terrible neuro something they call, I don't know. But um, it was interesting to talk to these men. Um, what what I didn't like about it was, you know, I'm a real advocate. I'm a I try to I'm gonna push through, man. I mean, I I act like I don't have MS. You know, I try not to think about it. I just you know, if I gotta crawl along the floor to get something, I will crawl along the floor. If I'm at a store and I've got to ask somebody to give me something from the top floor, I will do it. I don't care. Um, so I, I'm, I'm a real pusher. I try to be adamant about what I've got. And I'm, I, I, what bothers me though, is when some of these men say things like, you know, I've, I've, cha I've tried all the medicine, nothing's, nothing's changing me. So I'm going to stop. And I'm like, God, please don't, man, there's gotta be something, but you can't, you know, I'm in these meetings and I can't say what's wrong with you, man. You know, right. I can only try to come at it, you know, as sensibly as possible, but it, it bothers me because I, you know, I'm a fighter. I don't want anybody because I, I know people with who died from MS, you know, yeah. I mean, so it, it does happen. Uh, but there is a miracle out there somewhere. I believe that it's going to be cured. I believe there's enough stem cell work going on now. Uh, they're trying to, the other problem MS patients have is the, there's a lining on the nerves called myelin. I don't really understand how this thing works, but apparently that myelin disintegrates and there's, there's hopes that they can bring back a way to recreate myelin on the nerve endings again. So I believe that, you know, we're 10, five, 10 years away from coming up with some real answers here with MS. I hope Yeah. I'm going to yeah. keep fighting for them. I'm, I'm a big advocate. I want right. to, Wait a minute. My doctor's book, I'm going to point this out, Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis, Dr. Alan Bowling. He's my vitamin D guy. I'm telling you, man, you got MS, take vitamin D. You know what? Even if you don't have MS, here's the thing I learned during the pandemic. Um, vitamin D is a re it helps in your respiratory system. In the very beginning of the pandemic, people, were, doctors were saying, take vitamin D, take it now. And my whole family takes vitamin D. I press them. Take it now. Um, yeah. So... I encourage everyone, but I'm not a doctor. Don't do it until you talk to your doctor. Okay, never mind. <laughs> what was the book? Could you hold the book up one more time? Because it cut out a little bit. I'm I don't sorry, know if man. It's uh, Optimal, Optimal Health Bowling. with Multiple okay. Sclerosis. Dr. Alan Bowling is his name. My now, you, when we when we spoke before, and I, and I, I, I'd like, I like the story, and, and so I, I think I'd like to get it in on this episode, but you had, so, you know, you're, you're in your house, and um, you had an opportunity to get a home studio set up and that was a pretty, pretty cool story. You want to share that with our well, folks? You know, it was funny because, uh, you know, when you, after you become a writer, you think, well, now, of course, uh, this has got to be an audio form. I should yeah. do an audio book. <laughs> and because I'm a radio guy, I should do my own audio book. It was funny. You know, I, I, I thought I was going to, there, there's a, a punk band here in Fort Collins and they're, they're legendary. They're called Dependents. D-E-N-T-S, dependents. They're out of California, been strong for over 30 years, but they end up here in Fort Collins. They've got this studio that that is like some decrepit old building, because remember, Colorado's old. You know, right. this town's been here since like 1870, you know, so there are some really old buildings here. And so I drive up, I, I find this studio on it because, you know, you Google the best recording studio in Fort Collins. And it's these guys. So I go there and it's not handicap accessible. Oh. <laughs> so I get out of my wheelchair and I grab my crutches. And I mean, I got to take it slow. I'm telling you, it's dangerous. So I get all the way to the back and it's a cool studio. Because remember, man, I've been to Criteria back in the 70s. I've been to studios, okay? But this is a really cool old studio. They got, you know, all their stuff around, great equipment. And I get all the way to the back. But by the time I get to the back to talk to these guys about them recording my voice for my audiobook, 
my body's in total seizure. So I'm, I can't even sit in the chair. My legs are sitting, my daughter is holding onto my, my shirt to keep me in the chair. Like, listen, can you guys record my uh, <laughs> audio book? I'm sure I can do this. <laughs> so, but then, you know, I, I left there and I, I thought about it really hard. And I thought, you know, there's no way I'm not going to be able to do it this way. But yeah. the guys at the recording studio sent me their number one engineer to my house. And he came to my house and told me that I needed to buy this. If you can't see it behind me, I have a sound closet behind me. Um, set that up for me and then sat here and helped me edit my entire process. Uh, it taught me how to do it. And then I, uh, they did all the hardcore work for me. But uh, it was very nice. Jonathan Luganbill is his name. And uh, he works over at that studio with Dependence that yeah. punk rock and they are hardcore and the drummer <laughs> the guy bill stevenson is his name and he's the drummer he's the original founder this guy's had like major brain problems oh, surgeries to put his head back together but when you see him you're like stop you're gonna blow up he's right he's, old, he's almost <laughs> as old as me but he cranks and that is a great band mm -hmm. uh if you're into punk rock dependence okay yeah. So these guys came and did that for me. And then I did all the editing myself. Uh, they helped me download it into the system. So both my books available at Amazon and on Audible. Come get me, mother. I'm through. And The Death of Fairness. And third book on its way. Yes. that's. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about that one. That one's going to be fun. And how can so how can people uh, they, they they hear the story it's resonating with them they want to learn more about you you've got a website uh, let's go ahead and promote that all right Brian I'm at krcurry.com um, depending on when you play this um, I believe in like the next two or three days I've got a new web site appearing uh the old one was very functional did really good things for me but i'm going to a new website that's put together by writers for writers so it does things that they need it to do i can change my blogs i can change my audio and video so um, i'm going there so i can kind of do it myself because i'm actually preparing to go into my fourth book now um and it is going it's going to take me a year but i i've got this vision um not yet. I'll, not, not really. Not. <laughs> we'll have to talk again, Brian. So, so you fully, uh, you fully have converted into an author uh, and writer. Is there any, you know, with today's advances, we'll call them uh, in technology? Um, any thoughts of trying to get back on the air with uh, whether it be radio or podcasting or any of that? You know, um, pardon me. Um, no, you know, I. People, last year during the pandemic, in the very beginning of the pandemic, um, I was tortured by the fact that the administration had no clue what was going on, although I kind of had it figured out by the end of January. <laughs> and I'm just a guy. Okay, so uh, I was tortured by the fact that we got to March and and there was nothing, and then suddenly, ah! Right. Well, it, it, it affects me, stress affects MS. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, my, my, I had to get my mind off of that guy and what was going on at the time. So it's crazy enough. I happened to see a friend on Facebook say he was sad because now he couldn't have cocktails with his friends. Mm -hmm. So I hit him up on Facebook real quick <laughs> and I said, go get a cocktail. We'll do a live Facebook uh, FaceTime together and we'll do a cocktail together on FaceTime. Well, during that, we start thinking, he starts saying, you know, we could have all of our other friends do this. And I thought, oops, that's what I'll do. I'm going to go get all of our old friends and we're going to talk Miami radio. And uh, I have some fairly famous old friends, um, you know, that, that are fairly influential in the business uh, and in, and in movies and things. Uh, the, my friend, Maddie Momfort uh, was on, Univision's uh, Sabado Egante, and if you know anything about Latin TV, the biggest TV show for decades was Sabado Egante. Uh, Robert W. Walker helped produce the Gloria Stefan um, play in New York City. Um, uh, I've got a zillion friends, so I just started once a week. I thought, well, let me just go on and I'll do interviews with these guys, and it made me think about what I was going to do because I had no idea how to even get on 
Facebook Live and have right. two people. So my, I had to figure that out. So it totally took my mind off of the disaster that mm. was happening. But uh, so I did these. In fact, I'm, I'm sure people can find them. They were under um, one because uh, back then we were saying that you could you shouldn't start drinking. Don't everybody start drinking just because you're sitting <laughs> home. So I was just I said, we're going to have one cocktail with kids. So I called it <laughs> one cocktail with kid. And I do these shows every maybe almost every night for about a month or so. And I had all my friends on. Um you know, and I've got, like I said, I got some very good friends who came to help me out and it was a lot of fun and it distracted me. And, mm -hmm. and, but you got to remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we all were talking, well, six to eight, 10 weeks, we'll be done with this. No problem. Right. But you know, my wife, once again, the international business coach, uh, hurt, you know, where everybody else's job stopped and came to a screeching halt. Um, my wife's job got busier because mm -hmm. her job uh, what she, what she decided to do was to get her clients ready for when it was over. Um, you know, and besides people sold houses during the pandemic that still happened. Yeah. Yeah. So there was still a real estate industry going on, but she was preparing people for what was going to happen after the pandemic, which is what I got into. Um, what's going to happen. You have now you're, you don't have a job. If you want to recreate yourself now, get on Google and say, how can I become a, and how yeah. can I do and da 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 and go come if you we're all gonna have to recreate. If you can recreate yourself, this is the time to do so. So the guests that I was having on at the time, we were all talking about those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um so you know, I tried to keep my mind away from the disaster, try to be as positive as I can. And uh we we it was a lot of fun. So if anybody, I know you can find them out there. I'm my I don't know. <laughs> There's somewhere out there. I don't understand the cocktails with okay. kids. <laughs> Somebody will say, "Oh, I know what those are." You know. <laughs> yeah, I'll just see if I can dig them up. I'll put a link uh, if, if it's out there. I'll, I could put a link There's in some the description. There's real humor there. There's a guy that was a news guy for us in Miami uh, named Jim Reilly, and uh, Jim is one of these extremely eclectic, humorous, humorous men. And uh, in fact, you know. I would get these, I do these things and get like 500, 600 people viewing these things. Oh. So it was a pretty big deal. I mean, I'm, I mean, I wasn't thousands, but for me, 500 was pretty good. Uh, I think Jim had like 800 people coming back to watch his thing. So, so hmm. there's some real humor there. And, but it was my distraction. It was me doing the radio thing again. But you know what I discovered, Brian? Then it went, it became too much obsession for me. Okay. Because again, I was thinking about it too much and it became so much that I couldn't put it away. And I can't do that with MS. I mean, stress after a few weeks, I'm starting to get real tired and, and I can't think about what I got to do. I, I, I'm not communicating during the interviews and right. I'm forgetting questions. And so I had to just stop and do what I want to do. And that's right. You see, there's no stress here, man. I can come in here yeah. and, you know, my, my fictions, I come up with a, I come up with a scenario and if it makes sense and I believe me, Carrie, my writing coach is still on everything I do. This last book, I just wrote 84,000 words of uh, this novel. She's been over every page. Um, this is fun for me. I do this. This is exciting. And there's no stress as long as it makes sense. And, you know, I have fact checkers. She's my fact checker. And then yeah. I've got to go to another fact checker here soon. So these are all, it, although it's fiction, it needs to make sense. Yeah. So I now just make up stuff. And this next one I'm going to make up, I'm going to get you, man. Because I still believe that this thing that happened in 1987 is the devil. And the reason we have the division in America today is because lies are legal without debate. Remember, they have a fairness doctrine in Canada. They don't have the division we have in America. Yeah, no, good point. So this next one, I'm going to try to rip the Band-Aid off of how it happened. It's not going to be true, but it's, right. going, to, it's going to be my things. <laughs> and it's going, to be, it's going to be tough because I've got to go all the way back to, you know, I've got to go back to Gorbachev and Reagan meetings. Yeah. I've got to go back to when, when Putin was a young KGB man mm. um, because I'm going to, um, and Rupert Murdoch is involved in this somehow. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is what I'm doing.
Very cool. Well, I tell you what, I've got one last question for you. And and I usually, uh, it's usually the same question for everyone. So if you've listened to any podcast, you probably know already. But as we get ready to, to wrap up here, um, I mean, you, you're truly an inspiration, if, if nothing else for me, just to see your energy, the positivity, the the keep moving forward, even, you know, even when life, you know, throws something in your way. Um, so just your story alone is inspiration. But as we get ready to wrap up, if 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 nothing else, if if the listeners took nothing else from this conversation, what would would what would be your final parting words of wisdom? Like break this down, don't leave home without it. Type. I don't think you can wait. And it's funny. I heard this the other day from that lady on America's Got Talent, but yeah. you can't wait for life to be good oh, yeah. before you go ahead and do good. You have to go ahead and just, you know, I always say when you wake up in the morning, you look outside, if it's there, you're okay. So get going. So, you know, I'm, I'm a real believer in getting up in the morning and putting yourself in a positive attitude. Uh, you control your mind. Uh, pollution, it's people pollution that yeah. makes you have a bad day. Uh, so put yourself in the right place to be able to defect that, deflect that pollution. Um, you are put here for a reason. Uh, the reason is to make life, uh, as Muhammad Ali said, do good things. That's your rent for living here. Okay. Mm. So that's the whole process. Do good things. Think well. That matters. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. I, I truly appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure others listening will as well. So hang tight. Don't go anywhere. We will do a off the air wrap up. So thanks again, Kim. Thanks, Brian. There you go. There you have it. My conversation with Kim Kid Curry. Kim, you are truly an inspiration. And it, it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, my friend. Well, folks, that's going to do it for another episode. Make sure you follow this podcast so you will get notified when the next one drops. Next week, we've got another good interview or conversation for you all. And hey, before we go, if you are feeling stuck, trapped, unmotivated, or unhappy in any area of your life, I'm going to encourage you to head over to my website, www.conqueringeverest.com and sign up for a free 60-minute coaching session with me. You will not be disappointed. But until next time, you know what I've got to leave you with, right? You know, aim high, be courageous, and go do amazing things.